All right. Psalm 130. Psalm 130. So after tonight, we've only got four more to go. Four more Psalms of Ascent. So I want to do a little bit of an introduction here tonight before we get into this psalm. First of all, for me personally, this is one of those passages of Scripture that I wish I could sit down with every Christian and just talk about it and study it together. I think it's... Now, obviously, all of Scripture is important, but I think this one is just so, so needed today. Let me tell you why. I think a lot of followers of God in the Bible were very realistic about their spiritual life. Where I think over the last couple thousand years, we can have the tendency to not be very realistic about where we are spiritually. That, that many Christians sort of live in a fantasy world. Or they never really come to grips with where they really are with God. And I'm not talking about those that don't know God. I'm talking about those that do. And why it's important for us to deal in reality is because though we like to all stay in our comfort zone, even when it comes to Christianity, that if we stay within our comfort zone, even within Christianity, we're only telling part of the story. We're not telling the whole story of being a Christian and being a follower of God. Even to ourselves. We're only telling part of it, not all of it. So what this psalm does is it sort of yanks us, whether we like it or not, out of our comfort zone. And it deals with the reality that all of us, no matter who we are, deal with in our life when it comes to being a follower of God. You see, I've entitled this psalm, When Desperation Turns Into Adoration. And we're going to see in this psalm tonight that there's a great deep, there's a great God, and there's a great longing in the psalmist as he wrote this and as they sing this on their way to Jerusalem. Remember, Psalm 120 through Psalm 134 are called the Psalms of Ascent. And you'll see that there in your Bible. Underneath each uh, heading, it will say a Psalm of Ascent. The word ascent literally means to go up. Because everybody that traveled to Jerusalem in the Holy Land would literally go up because Jerusalem was the high point, not only physically, but spiritually. And three times a year, 
Pentecost, Passover, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So spring, early summer, and fall, all the people of, of Israel were called to come together and to be part of these great festivals in Jerusalem and to come and worship the Lord there at the temple in Jerusalem. And these songs or psalms were used to prepare the worshiper as they went, as they traveled along together. Now, in particular, this psalm points out a tension that we have as followers of God. And it's a tension that you and I, if we're going to continue to mature and grow and move forward in our life, we've got to be okay with. And that is this. It is the tension that the closer you and I get to God, the more aware of our sin we are. And so what happens with a lot of followers of God is they start to get close to God. Or even, even like some of them, you know, maybe even who've not been in church or whatever for a while and they start coming to a church like this and they hear the Word and they experience the power of the Spirit and the worship and everything else. And it's like it starts to bring up stuff and bring out stuff. And at first it's like they, they sort of like it because it's, it's this sort of new spiritual experience and they, they, they see themselves getting close to God, but then there comes a point where they got to make a decision. It's like, because for some, it's like, ooh, the closer I get, the more I see who I really am before God. And, and so, for many, instead of continuing to live with that tension throughout their life, they pull back and pull away. In fact, Sad to say, that's why many Christians who are struggling spiritually, they actually do the very last thing or worst thing that they could do for themselves. And that is, they start to pull away from other Christians, they start to pull away from church, they stop, you know, reading their Bible and praying and all of that. That the very things that they need, or we need, when we're struggling spiritually, the very things that, yes, will literally expose everything that's going on in our life, but it's, it's the only way that we will actually grow and, and continue to get closer to God. And that's where the psalmist was. Whoever this psalmist was, because this is one of the anonymous psalms of ascent, we don't know who the author is, as they were contemplating coming to Jerusalem, to the temple, to worship God, it was like the realization was like, oh, but as I'm walking to Jerusalem, I'm also realizing how sinful I am and how much I'm struggling with certain things in my life. And it's, it's making me very uneasy, which is why they write these words. And I'm just going to read all eight verses tonight and then share some thoughts that God showed me from this passage of Scripture. From the deep water I cry out to you, O Lord. O Lord, listen to me. Pay attention to my plea for mercy. If you, O Lord, were to keep track of sins, O Lord, who could stand before you? But you are willing to forgive so that you might be honored. 
I rely on the Lord. I rely on Him with my whole being. I wait for His assuring word. I yearn for the Lord more than the watchmen do for the morning. Yes, more than the watchmen do for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For the Lord exhibits loyal love and is more than willing to deliver. He will deliver Israel from all the consequences of their sins. Now, in previous Psalms of Ascent, we have seen where whoever the author was, they were struggling with external factors, whether they were being attacked or opposition and all that. But here, we see that the the greatest struggle is the struggle from within the psalmist themselves. And that's really the greatest struggle that all of us will ever have. No matter how bad the struggles and the external factors are in our life, really when it comes down to it, our relationship and fellowship and walk with God and all of that is about us learning to somehow navigate this tension between drawing closer to a holy God and all the while realizing the closer I get to a holy God, the more aware I am of just how sinful I am. And in a weird way, though, I, you know, I, I know I've had a funny reaction, I'm sure, to, to people when they, because, like, there'll be people, say, who, who come to church, maybe they got saved, or maybe they started growing or whatever, and they'll say, Pastor, I need to meet with you. And obviously, yes, let, let's meet, let's talk. What's on your heart? Pastor, I don't know whether I'm saved. Well, tell me, wh- wh- why do you feel that way? Oh, pastor, since, since I've been reading the word and, and I've been worshiping God and, and I've been growing, whatever, I just, I see all this stuff in my life, all this, all these things. And you know what my reaction is? Good for you. You know, and they're like, at first they're like, what do you mean? Good for me. I'm like, don't you understand that's a byproduct of your getting closer to God? That, that's the way it is in the Bible. Think of the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6. At a crucial moment in his life, he sees the Lord. He has this great vision of Jehovah on his throne. And he's interacting literally in a very personal way with Jehovah, the prophet Isaiah. And yet, it is as he's interacting and experiencing this, this intimate fellowship with God that he says, Woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. And I'm in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And we are undone. And he just like, he sees himself for who he really is. And yet God says, I want to use you, Isaiah. Who will go? Who can we send? And Isaiah says, I'll go, send me. And obviously the, the Lord had to cleanse the prophet, make him ready and fit. But it's a beautiful picture of even what's happening here. Because first we see this great deep that the psalmist is in. He's struggling. He's not doing well. And, and it's obvious it has nothing to do with anything external. It's about the realization of his 
sin. We know that from verse 3. If you, O Lord, were to keep track of sins, who could stand before you? So when he says in verse 1, it's from the deep water, literally from the depths, I cry out to you, O Lord. He is literally over his head. And what, what is he struggling with? Maybe it's a, a bad habit. Maybe it's an addiction. Whatever it is, this man is overwhelmed by it. This man is engulfed by it. And he has no solution to this depth that he's in. All he can bring to God is his sin and his shame and his guilt. That's all he has. He has no solution and no answer. That's the depth. He goes on to say, from the deep water I cry out to you, O Lord. These are words of one who is in desperate need of help. He says, O Lord, listen to me. In the Hebrew, it means perceive even the pain and anguish I am in. This psalmist is just all twisted and torn. I mean, his... His sin or sins really have just got a hold on him. He says, pay attention to my plea for mercy. Literally, again, in the Hebrew, it means pay attention to even the sound or tone of my voice. Here, even in the tone and sound of my voice, what I'm feeling, God... And I'm crying out for your mercy, your much-needed help. Because, Lord, if you were to keep track of sins, literally, if you were to preserve all my sin, and just over and over again, just keep considering it and looking at it, he says, who could stand? And again, he's thinking about this because he's on his way to Jerusalem. He wants to worship the Lord. He wants to be in the Lord's house with the Lord's people. He wants to draw near to God. But as he's drawing near to God, he's realizing the enormity of his sin. As God was dealing with me about this, I wrote this in my Bible. The Christian life is a pilgrim journey marked by frequent seasons of desperation as we constantly move towards an eternity of uninterrupted adoration. Let me repeat that. The Christian life is a pilgrim journey marked by frequent seasons of desperation as we're constantly moving toward an eternity of uninterrupted adoration. Adoration. And why I said what I said earlier about reality is at least whoever this psalmist was, they were honest and real about where they were spiritually. And you and I have to be the same way if we're going to draw near to a holy God and continue to grow and mature in our faith. Yet, we will never be honest about our sin before God if we don't trust Him. 
Even though in our head we can say, I know God knows everything about me, all the secret things, the things that nobody else knows, only I know. That iceberg life where we only allow people to see certain things, but, we, we, but there's things underneath the water in thought, word, and deed that only God knows about us. And yet, even with Him, many times, we as those who know He knows everything, we, we struggle to sort of lay everything out there before Him. And maybe we don't even know it because we've never even dealt with it. It's like the person who maybe invites somebody over to their home, and they know that the, the, the visitors are only going to maybe sit in this section of the home, so they make sure that that room or those couple of rooms are very clean, but the rest of the, you know, the house, the, the basement area, the, 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 you know, the laundry room, the, the mud room as we called it back east and all that, they're not touched. And, and many times that's the way we live sort of our life even with God and, and with others. It's like, you know, we, we clean up a few things that, that are out there for everybody to see, but we never allow God and His holiness and His Word and His Spirit to go into the very depths of our being and start lifting up all this stuff and getting it out and truly dealing with it, understanding that God doesn't want to crush us in our sin. He wants to forgive and deliver us. It is not we who are crushed. It is Jesus who was crushed on our behalf. The reason you and I can stand before God is not because Jesus stood under the wrath of God. He was crushed under the wrath of God on the cross. And He took all of that penalty and punishment for us so that we truly can lay it all out there because God knows it anyway and let's deal with it. And that's the depths. When Christians hear this, some, there's usually two camps. One is, I don't know whether I buy that or not, Pastor Jeff. We're going to have to talk more about that. But the other camp, and this is where I find most Christians, is like, you mean it's normal to struggle in our Christian life? You mean I'm not the only one that deals with depths like this? Hallelujah! Hallelujah! No, you're not the only one. Because again, if we're all honest and we're all living in reality, all of us are on this pilgrim journey and all of us will go through frequent seasons of desperation where we say, God, out of the depth of my sin and hopelessness, and sorrow, and sadness, and, and shame, and guilt, I cry out to you. Because as I get closer to you, my holy God, I, I realize how undone and how sinful I am next to you. A great deep. So I hope, if nothing else, in this first section of the psalm, that maybe in a weird way I've encouraged some of you tonight. 
in the sense that if you came here and maybe you're in a season of desperation in your life where you're struggling with something, something that you just can't seem to get on top of or get a hold of, or maybe you haven't even admitted it to yourself that you're struggling with it. I want you to know that we all do. We all do. There's not a one of us that doesn't struggle with sin. Because until you and I go to be with Jesus, we still have that fallen nature inside of us. I mean, think about the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. That whole passage there in chapter 7 where he says, the things that I want to do, I'm not doing. And the things that I really don't want to do, I find myself doing those things. And he even says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me? And then he says, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, as we've talked before in this series on the Psalms of Ascent, this is a, this is a blues song. This isn't a, don't worry, be happy. You know. Because guess what? We're not always there. And that's okay. That's reality. In fact, in my lifetime and even in the ministry, the Christians especially that I've come in contact with that just seem like, you know, they're on top of the mountain all the time or whatever, and that's what they're trying again to project all the time, they're really fighting a lot on the inside. Because they're sort of overcompensating for all the stuff that they're going on internally. So externally, they're trying to project, I've got everything down, man. Everything's good. I'm on top. And we know that that can't be the case with any of us. There's going to be great deeps where you and I maybe are pouring out our tears and saying, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I'm such a sinful man. And if you were to sit there, God, and regard all of my sin, as he says at verse 3, who could stand before you? Before we move on to the second point, that out of a great deep, we see here a great God. Again, I want to repeat this as well. We will never be honest about our sin before God if we don't trust Him. It's not a matter of not knowing in our head, well, God knows everything and sees everything. He's omniscient. He's omnipresent. He knows everything that's going on. Whether anybody else does or not, God sees the reality of our lives and who we really are. And if somehow we think that we can't trust Him, then we're going to keep even trying to hide things from Him. And we'll never get as close to God as we could because, nope, 
As soon as I start to get close to the holy God and it shows more stuff up, it's like, no, I'm backing off. Because that, that's ugly. I don't want to have to deal with ugly. But what the psalmist is saying is this great God is more than willing to deal with all the ugliness and sin in our life. That's the whole reason He sent His one and only dear Son to this earth to begin with. It wasn't because everything was good and right. It was because everything was wrong and God had to make it right through Jesus for us. So first of all, I want you to notice this. Verse 7. O Israel, hope in the Lord. Wait for or be patient in the Lord. For the Lord exhibits loyal love. Steadfast love in the Hebrew. Or another uh, way to translate this is the word loving kindness. It is the immovable favor of God that we can always count on. It is God's unconditional love that even though He knows all the sin and all the darkness and all the ugliness, He still exhibits loyal love towards us. He will never stop loving us. Never has, never will. And He can never love us any less. Even knowing everything about us, that's God's loving kindness. His steadfast, constant, loyal love. It is the immovable favor of God, not based on us or our deserving of it or, you know, being good enough to earn it. It is based on this immovable favor of God, on the blood and sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We can stand before this God and have a relationship and fellowship with Him, not because, again, we're perfect and we're, we don't have any sin. It's because we stand in the righteousness of Jesus Christ, our Savior. For he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 And so this great God we can always count on to exhibit, to demonstrate towards us loyal love. There will never be a time, I don't care what we do or how much we do it, If God were to pile up, as as the psalmist says, if He were to keep track, if God were to pile up for each of us all of our sin from the time we were born to the time we die and piled it all up in this huge pile and just looked at it, He would still love us. He would still love us. And that's why I've also entitled this psalm When Desperation Turns Into Adoration because... When you begin to understand our God and how He deals with us as sinners and how He dealt with our sin, does that not drive us to worship Him? To adore Him? Because unlike maybe other human beings, we can't always count on their love. They might not always stick by us or stick with us. The Lord will always be there and His love is always something we can count on no matter what. Even from the depths. And then there's a couple companions of this loving kindness or steadfast love. Go back then to verse 4. But you are willing to forgive. And these words in the Hebrew speak about abundant forgiveness, abundant pardon. It's not just a little, it's a lot. 
That's why I love what Paul said in Romans again. He said, where sin abounds, grace does what? Much more abound. It doesn't matter how much sin we're dealing with and being piled up, God's grace will always exceed and excel whatever the sin is. And He's always willing to forgive. Always. Again, not because we deserve it, but because of Jesus and what Jesus has done. And there's never a time in our life where we could go to God and say, God, will you please forgive me, where He'll say no. Never. Never. God is more than willing to forgive us of all our sin. That's a great God. So that you might, God, be honored. The words literally mean to stand in all of God. And I don't know about you, but when you begin to see the depth of our sin and what God has done with our sin and all of that, yeah, what could we not do but just stand in all of this God who exhibits loyal love, though He knows everything about us, He knows every sin we'll ever commit, yet He still says, I love you. And He says, and I'm going to forgive you of all of it. Of all of it. And then back up to verse 7. Not only does this loyal love have the companion of forgiveness, it also has the companion of deliverance. He goes on to say, and he's more than willing. It means to greatly exceed, to deliver us. So it's not a matter of even forgiving us. It's a matter of, I'll deliver you from it. I'll ransom you. I'll redeem you. I'll set you free from this sin that's got its grips and and claws on you. In fact, verse 8 is where we get in the Christmas time the phrase out of the Christmas psalm, ransom captive Israel. He will deliver, literally the word in the Hebrew is ransom captive Israel from all the consequences of their sins. And by the way, these two words deliver here in verse 7 and in verse 8 also speaks of the price of redemption. Yes, God redeems. Yes, God ransoms. But let's remember something. That to redeem, to ransom, means a price had to be paid to set us free from the slave market of sin, if you will. And it draws us back again to the cost of our salvation. That it cost us nothing but belief in Jesus Christ. But it cost Jesus Christ everything. He sacrificed His life blood for us so that we could be set free and delivered. Not only forgiven, but delivered. What a great God. His loyal love, his willingness to always forgive, and His more than willingness to deliver. So even in the depths, as the psalmist is walking towards the temple in Jerusalem, and he's realizing the enormity of his sin, and how awful and 
dark and everything that it is and who he really is before a holy God, he also begins to, to draw into his heart this, this heart of worship and adoration because he reminds himself of who God is and who God wants to be to him and who God has been to him in his life. He's always loved him. He's always forgiven him. And he's always delivered him. Which is why the psalmist also expresses not only a great deep and a great God, but a great longing. Notice verse 5, I rely on the Lord. It's a very interesting Hebrew word. It means to be one's strength by being bound together. So what he's saying is, Lord, you are my strength because I'm bound to you. I'm connected to you. We're, you know, like connected at the hip. I'm not strong because of me. He's saying, I'm strong because I'm connected to you. And then he says, I rely on him with my whole being. I look to you, Lord. I look upon you, Lord, with everything I've got because you're all I've got. Again, I don't have an answer to this. I don't have a solution. All God I can bring to you is all my sin and shame and guilt. That's all I've got. But Lord, when I bring it to you, you love me in spite of it. You forgive me of all of it. And you will deliver me and redeem me from all of it. And that's why he says in verse 6, I yearn for the Lord. You see, what the psalmist here is longing for is that restoration of fellowship with God because his sin broke that fellowship. Not relationship. Fellowship. Because that's what sin does. Sin will break our fellowship with God. And as he's thinking about coming to the temple of God and worshiping God, he wants to be part of this intimate fellowship with his God and with other believers. But he realizes that I've got to bring this before God and then I've got to wait for that reassurance that everything's okay, that me and God are okay again. And that that fellowship has been restored. That's why at the end of verse 5, he says, I wait for his assuring word. See, when you and I sin, we need that reassurance that everything between us and God is okay after we've come to the realization of what we've done and we confess it to the Lord. It's not that the relationship needs to be restored. It's that the fellowship needs to be restored. That's why I believe that a true believer in Jesus Christ can never lose their salvation because that would mean that the relationship had to be severed. And that's never taught in the Bible. The Bible teaches we can sever our fellowship with God, but not our relationship with God. Any more than you could sever your relationship with your own children. Now, the fellowship might not be there. Maybe you don't have a very close, you know, relationship with them, but the relationship will always be there. You can't 
not be the son or daughter of whoever your parents were any more than your sons and daughters cannot be your son and daughter. That relationship is locked in. The only question is, how close is the fellowship? And that's why he's saying, God, I I yearn to be close to you again because sin has distanced me from you. And I want to be close to you again. I want to experience you and engage with you. And yes, I know what that means. That means the closer I get, the more I realize how sinful I am. But God, I want you so much that I'm willing to to live with this tension and continue to pursue you, my holy God, even though it's going to bring up all this stuff in my life that I need you to forgive and deliver me from. So that's why in verse 6 he says, I yearn for you, Lord, more than the watchmen do for the morning. Yes, more than the watchmen do for the morning. He's talking about the temple guards. And just like even in our day and age, if something evil or bad or criminal was going to happen, it usually happened at night. And those temple guards would be on watch and they couldn't wait for that sun, that light, that first light to come up because it sort of allowed them to breathe a little bit. Like, okay, the the worst is over. The, The night's over. Now the dawn has come. And that's what he's saying here. He says, God, I want to be close to you again. I I want this darkness and this distance between you and me to pass so that we can be okay again and so I can experience you in this intimate way. And I'm longing for that, God. I yearn for that. We all know, if we've walked with the Lord any time at all, we know what this psalmist is feeling. Because there's been times in our life where, whether it's through, you know, us stopping reading our Bible or, or, you know, our prayer life is non-existent or we're not going to church and fellowshipping with our brothers and sisters in Christ or whatever. And we're just not spending time with God or, or really anything spiritual that, that we can just get more and more distant. And yet there comes a point, if we are a true believer, where we long, we yearn to be close to God. And to have that fellowship again. We miss it. We miss Him. And we miss one another. And so we can relate to the longing of the psalmist here in Psalm 130. What a great psalm. The Christian life is a pilgrim journey marked by frequent seasons of desperation as we're constantly moving towards an eternity of uninterrupted adoration. Because here's the thing. One day, one day we're not going to have to struggle anymore. One day when we go to be with Jesus, that fallen nature will be laid aside for good. God's going to give us glorified bodies to live in for all of eternity. And we're never going to have to deal with this again. But until that day, We've got to be willing to deal with the tension and those seasons of desperation in our life. Out of the depths, God, I cry out to you. 
And remember when you and I cry out to God, even when we're at our lowest, His loyal love will be there. His forgiveness will be there. And His willingness to deliver us will be there always. Always, always, always. Let's pray. God, thank You. We stand in awe of You tonight, God. I can't imagine the perspective of a holy God as you've looked down on this earth that you created and mankind that you created and you see every sin, every evil deed, every, every amount of wickedness and cruelty and hate that the world has ever produced. You've seen it all, God. And yet you love us. You are willing to forgive us. And you are so willing to deliver us, God. What a God. May we continue, God, no matter what drawing closer to you means for us. Even bringing us to seasons of desperation, God. That we would just continue to draw closer. Knowing that that tension has to exist as long as we're in this body. The only other alternative is to pull away. To not live in reality. To pretend like we don't struggle with sin or have any sin to struggle with. And that everything in our life is always okay. God, help us even as a church and as individuals to be an example to other Christians that it's okay We all struggle. And we've got to quit living in our fantasy world and world of pretend. And we've got to start living in the reality. Because Lord, even in the reality of it all, you will always love us. You will always forgive us in Jesus Christ and you will always deliver us through Jesus Christ. So God, may we stand in all of you tonight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys. We'll see you Sunday.